Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 15 of UAB Green and Told. Through this podcast, we are able to catch up with members of the UAB family and share their stories. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today, we're joined by Wes Smith, President of Mayor Electric in Birmingham. As he'll explain, his journey to where he is now was one that includes an interesting run-in with authorities overseas as a teenager. So I have hair down to my shoulders, I have cowboy boots on, I dip Copenhagen snuff, I'm half lit up, and I'm in their country illegally. This is not going well. That rebellious stage stemmed from a strained relationship with his father, which, as Wes found out, was a stage in his life that his parents were stressed to support their family. He tells me that he didn't want to leave his three boys that he had made a very bad decision to take his boys to the farm. Wes grew up a lot after high school, which ultimately led him to Mayer, a place he nearly left after only two years. Two days later, I get a voicemail from Charles Klatt. I, I had shaken Charles's hand before, said hello, but I'd never really had a conversation with Charles. When you ask Wes Smith where he's from, you can get two drastically different answers. In the short version, he'll simply tell you that he grew up in the rural Alabama town of Ashland, its claim to fame being Governor Bob Riley. But that's not the real story of Wes. In his long version, he'll tell you that he was an Air Force brat born in Anchorage, Alaska. By the time the youngest of three boys was in second grade, he'd already moved around a lot and lived in places like Okinawa, California, Missouri, and Florida. Before his third grade year started, his dad retired. And that's where small little Ashland, Alabama comes into the story. The Smith family moved to the farm where Wes's dad grew up just outside of Ashland. But one day, I guess I'm going into the ninth grade and my dad's a military guy and and, and as a father, you know, your father loves you and he takes care of you. But, you know, it wasn't this really, really close relationship. I was the youngest of three and he had spent most of his time in the military and now he's farming. So he comes to me one one summer afternoon and says, hey, how about we go in the backyard and cut up a watermelon? And I'm like, hmm, that's strange, but uh, okay. So we go in the back and we sit down and he cuts up a watermelon and we start talking and he says, uh, uh, I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to go because I got a job offer and, you know, it's a great opportunity and, and something that I had been dreaming about so I could put you boys through college. I said, well, okay, great. Mom going with you? Yeah, mom, your mom's going with us. Uh, Okay, this is getting interesting now. What does that mean for me? So he said, well, we're going to let your brother stay here on the, on the farm, but we don't think that's the right decision for you. And the company will pay for you to go to school uh, somewhere in Europe. You can go to Greece or you can go to Italy. And I said, I'm not going to either one of them. So I was, I was just mortified. I was shocked. I, I could not believe that here I am, I'm going to go somewhere and go to a school that, you know, is just going to uproot my life. Yeah. Uh, But my parents are in charge, and that's what happened. So I 
August of whatever year that was, I end up at Notre Dame International School in Rome, Italy. When I first got to Italy, I was going to go to Saudi Arabia for Christmas break. And my mom was very worried about me, making sure I had all my paperwork lined up and had my visa. Mm -hmm. So mid-August after I got to Rome, I went down to the American Embassy um, in the Saudi Embassy and I got my visa. Well, I don't speak or read Arabic, so okay, there's this thing in my passport and they call it a visa and it says I can get in at Christmas vacation, so I'm all good. My mom's happy. So you fast forward about four months and it's December. A bunch of expatriate teenagers fly from Rome, Italy to Dahran, Saudi Arabia. Probably about two o'clock in the morning. And in Italy, there's no drinking age. And we're going to a country where we've been teenagers in a country with no drinking age to a supposedly dry country. So you're having a little we're, fun. Where we're gonna we're 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 tanking it up before we get <laughs> to Christmas vacation where it's just gonna be sobriety. Yeah. So we get to Saudi Arabia about two or three in the morning and we're still a little lit up and I'm standing in line waiting to go through customs and I get up to the front and uh, an Arab man starts looking at my passport and pointing and speaking in Arabic and I have no idea what he's saying so I'm just kind of okay would, would somebody help me here mm-hmm. little gentleman behind me said he's telling you your visa is expired and you can't get into the country oh no yeah it's okay what are we gonna do here so I get detained so here I am this American 14 15 year old kid by now a quarter a quarter lit up probably because some sobriety came along with all that. Yep. Um, and I get detained and they bring me into this room about the size of your office. And uh, I had not cut my hair since I landed in Rome, Italy, because I was going to let my dad know mm-hmm. I'm rebellion. I'm rebelling. So I have hair down to my shoulders. I have cowboy boots on. I dip Copenhagen snuff. I'm half lit up and I'm in their country illegally. This is not going well. No. Uh, so I get detained for about six hours. I won't give you all the gory details. They even took the heels off my boots, looking for whatever. Anything and everything. Just anything yeah. and everything. So the company finally, they have a li- liaison and they, these Saudi officers in immigration say, well, he can go home with his, you and get a couple hours sleep and in the morning he can come back and we're gonna deport him to Bahrain which is a little island off the coast of Dharan. You can get a visa and you can come back in. So we ride home, all quiet. Everybody had a long day. We walk into my parents' house in Dharan and my dad looks at my mom and he says, you cut his hair right now. My dad's the, he's the man of the house. It's that era. And she looks back at my father and says, okay, I'll cut his hair. But in the morning, he can go home and live with his brothers, or he can go home and live with me. It's your choice. My mom is my hero, because my dad loved my mom, and he really wanted my mom with him in Dahran. So on January 4th, I was back home in Alabama, living on a farm with my two brothers. When you're in high school in rural Alabama, what kind of student were you picture the typical rural school in the south 
I went to school. I didn't go to school. Okay? I didn't go to school or anything. I went to school because you needed to show up and that's what you're supposed to do and school was easy. You know, I had a lot of good teachers and obviously I, I, I learned something, but school was not the focus of school. It was just where you went. Uh, so when I got out of high school, I went down to Auburn. Okay. And I wanted to, I wanted to be an engineer, I wanted to fly jets, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. After the first year, I didn't get invited back. I just didn't, do, I was woefully unprepared. Study habits caught up to yeah. I, I had zero study habits. Yeah. So I needed to do something and I enlisted in the Air Force. Best decision I ever made in my life. Yeah. Considering where where you were when you were growing up, mm -hmm. your, your dad being in the Air Force and mm -hmm. you being a military brat, mm -hmm. did you kind of surprise yourself in that decision? Uh, no, I didn't, but I surprised my father. So here you fast forward several years. My father's still in Saudi Arabia to put three boys through college, and uh, he gets a phone call from his youngest son, who he's over there for, and I told him I was going to join the Air Force because uh, I'd flunked out of Auburn. He had a few words to say, and, and that was that. Years later, I could get emotional. My father tells me that he hung up the phone and cried. And this is not what I planned on coming here to do. He tells me that he didn't want to leave his three boys that he had made a very bad decision to take his boys to the farm. That he and mom had $500 to feed, clothe, and sustain. I had no idea. Needless to say, how I viewed my father changed dramatically. Yeah. He did that for me. And it was always about me, how he did something to me. He gave up a great part of his life for me. Yeah. So when you say, what impact did that have? You know, I had zero discipline. I had flunked out of college. My father had spent 15 years away from his family to mm -hmm. take care of his family. I became a different person than I was as a child. Yeah. yeah. Was it a quick change? No. Uh, you know, it's. I, I read something recently where zero to 20 years old, you're, you exist. <laughs> you know, you're a consumer. Yeah. You know, from 20 to 40, you're kind of growing up. And when you hit 40, you, you're mature. It's probably years before I really grasped the magnitude of that. But you asked the question, uh, I made the choice to join the Air Force because I didn't have a whole lot of choices to make. Yeah. And listen, my father was a, he was, he was a discipline. I wouldn't, he wasn't going to let me flunk out of school and just loaf around. Yeah. <laughs> I had enough discipline to know I needed to go do something. Going nowhere was not an option. And here I am, my first taste of, 
of a real success is being an undergraduate and coming out of basic training. Uh, and that just lit me on fire. Uh, so, connection to the business that I'm in now, I, I went in the Air Force in what sounded like a really, really cool career field called crypto. Okay. Okay, and, and crypto is secure communications. Uh, and when I got out, I actually got into an installation unit. I spent my active duty years in Central America down in Panama. Okay and then up and down the East Coast, putting in shuttle tracking uh, facilities. Interesting. Which uh, every one of them had secure communications in it. Uh, and we did everything from the service entrance to the power panel to the back of a piece of comic equipment. I was an electrician. Yeah. So I had a cool title, a crypto person, but what I really was was an electrician with a title uh, which was data communications installations. Fast forward, that, that is a big part of our business today. Yeah. Who would have known in 1982 I would be building the foundation for what is uh, the business that I'm in. And when I got out of the Air Force, I went back to Auburn. Okay. I went back to Auburn at Montgomery uh, because I was in the National Guard unit there. Um, which would enable me to be close to a guard unit where I could get as many days as I could work to make enough money to <laughs> eat and live indoors while I finished college at Auburn and Montgomery. And uh, when I went back to college after the Air Force, I had a little different discipline, yeah. a little different motivation. Uh, so I went back to Auburn and Montgomery and finished my undergraduate there. School wasn't that hard. It really was about showing up and participating. Yeah. In <laughs> uh, being disciplined. What year did you finish? I finished in 1987. Okay. Uh, my undergraduate degree at AUM. And that was in yeah. uh, business. Business. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm I'm the typical engineer into business. The first thing I did when I went to AUM is said, let's map out the shortest path between two points. Here's what I have that I could actually actually passed and could transfer, <laughs> and. Uh, we mapped out a pathway that was the quickest for me out of school. And as Wes will share after a brief message, this was also the time he wound up getting connected with Mayor Electric. Community. Generosity. Caring. Giving back. Join together with alumni and students as we serve the Birmingham community. On Saturday, April 4th, the UAB National Alumni Society will host its fourth annual UAB Unite Day. Through this special day of service, we'll give back by completing projects at Glen Iris Elementary. Volunteer at alumni.uab.edu unite. Wes Smith's early life included moving around plenty of failure, and the decision to return to school. As he started classes at the University of Auburn Montgomery, Wes also landed his first job. So my introduction to mayor was through my brother. This is right away. Uh, so when I got out of the Air Force, went back to AUM, my middle brother called our branch manager in uh, Montgomery, a guy named Lanny Sears, and said my little brother's looking for a job. I think he knows a little bit about some of the stuff we sell. 
Lanny tells me over the phone, I, we don't need anybody, but I'm happy to talk to you. So I came in to Mayor Montgomery and I sat down with Lanny Sears and uh, we ended up talking for about an hour. And at the end of that hour, Lanny said, follow me. And he took me out in the warehouse and he pointed to one little corner of the warehouse that had some shelving up on it. And he said, we call that return goods. He said, won't you clean that up when you're done, come see me. Well, return goods is where stuff customers return or somebody made a mistake, ordered the wrong thing. It's like any business. They, everybody's got a rat hole somewhere. Yeah. Our rat holes are called return goods. And it was just a rat hole of products and stuff that was collecting dust. And he thought, well, if this kid can clean that up, then maybe we got something here. And at the end of the week, I'd cleaned it up. And uh, Lanny told me to go see a guy named Tony Freeze, who was a warehouse manager. He'll find you something to do. And I've been fortunate enough and blessed enough to be at Mayor ever since. As a 25-year-old, yeah. did you think yep. you were going to be making a career at Mayor? Absolutely never dreamed that when I walked into Mayor Montgomery, having just got out of the Air Force, having just gone back to school, that I would spend the next 32 years of my life as part of the Mayor family. You won't find a luckier <laughs> more blessed human being than me. I am just fortunate to have had the opportunity to be a part of the Mayor family and become part of, I'm not blood clat, but mm-hmm. I'm part of the family. Yeah. Yeah. At what point did you realize when you were working with Mayor early on that, you know what, this is the place I, I want to be. Yeah. I, I want to make yeah. it a career. Here I am, 25-ish, 27-ish, about two years into it, uh, I was going to leave mayor. I was leaving mayor because I had an opportunity to go create an audit department at another family-owned business in town. Okay. Uh, I have this opportunity that comes along, and I'm going to take it. So I come into work one day, and... I have a voicemail from a gentleman named Jay Ziff. Jay Ziff at the time was Mayor's Chief Financial Officer. So I have a voicemail from this gentleman, the CFO of Mayor. I returned Jay's call and Jay simply said, hey, I I understand you're leaving and uh, come see me. So I go see and I walk into Jay Ziff's office and he has a table and he asks me to sit down and for about the next six hours, Jay Ziff talked to me about life. I didn't know it at the time, but he was mentoring. He was interested. He, why is he doing this? And he just spent six hours with me talking about life, talking about, you know, opportunity and long-term career goals and family. And uh, I was blown away. And at the end, he simply shook my hand and said, anytime you want to get together and talk and, you know, you need somebody to give you advice, I'm here. He didn't twist my arm. He didn't, you know, he just said, I've heard good things about you and I just kind of wanted to get to know you. And at the end of that, I was still leaving. Two days later, I get a voicemail from Charles Clatt. I, I had shaken Charles's hand before, said hello, but I'd never really had a conversation with Charles. And you probably at that point really didn't think he knew who you were? No, no. 
So he says, hey, come see me. So I go down and I walk in Charles's office and we spend about the next two hours together. Charles laid out his vision for mayor and what, who and what we are and who and what we're going to be. You know, we talked about the industry, we talked about business, we talked about life, we talked about family, we talked about community. I didn't know it at the time, but he shared with me that we had hired a consultant and we were going to build a total quality management system. Uh, and we were going to pursue ISO 9000, which was a international quality standard. He just simply said, hey, we're looking for a leader for that. Maybe that's something you might be interested in. At the end of that two hours, you know, he said, why don't you go home and talk it over with your wife and decide if this is something you want to do. And if it is, great. And if it's not, you know, let's keep in touch. Yeah. So I took a little chance at that point. I, I looked at Charles and I said, well, I can tell you, I'm going to go home and talk to my wife, but I'm staying. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, here I had spent an incredible amount of time with the CFO, an incredible amount of time with Charles. Um, I was just blown away with where the company's going and what's important and how much, obviously, you know, I'd been traveling around branches and I, I knew how we treated people, and, but I'm still this young person. It's, it's how all these others are being treated. You know, it's not me. Yeah. And now it's me. I ended up staying. We became the first distributor in North America registered to ISO 9000, uh, which was a pretty cool thing. Periodically, Charles and I meet, and I just, hey, I'm getting a little bored. You know, what, what's next? So I just kept getting opportunities. So I, I, my lesson from that is I encourage our people, do not be fearful of walking into a leader's office if they're, if they're any kind of person, they're going to talk to you, they're going to mentor you, they're going to listen to you, they're going to try to give you advice, and Charles did that for me. So in the early yeah. 90s, yeah. you start yeah. talking to Charles. Yeah. Have you ever gone back to ask him, what did you see in me? Because he obviously, yeah, he saw I, something. Yeah, 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 yes, I have. And, and we've had a lot of conversations around that. People like Charles are incredibly intuitive. You can spend a little bit of time with someone and, and learn pretty quickly. Uh, What's their core values? Mm -hmm. So over a period of that early years, I think one of the character, I think Charles, if, if anything, um, integrity, honesty, character, just as human beings, that's bedrock. But it's good business too. Because if you say what you do, do what you say, uh, and put someone else first, uh, your your odds are more that you're going to be successful than you're not going to be successful. I think he saw hard work. My philosophy was if I worked harder than everybody else, I'd probably be okay. So I, I may not have been as smart as everybody. I can assure you I wasn't. But I, there were a few people that probably worked as hard as I did. And I think he saw that. What's the relationship like now with Charles Collette? I don't, I don't mind saying I love Charles like my own father. Uh, I think he would probably say the same. There, there's no one I have more love and respect for uh, 
as a person, as, as someone who saw something in me and, and created the tremendous opportunities. But, but, but I don't say I have that kind of love and respect just because he gave me opportunities. I have the, that kind of love and respect for how he's treated me as a person, mm -hmm. how I've watched him treat others as a person that he doesn't even know, but they're people and people need help and we help others in the community through our ability to help others in community. So I've seen him help strangers. So my love and admiration is, is really at a, uh, it's at a friendship level. It's at a, Charles is my elder. So it's at a, at a parental level mm -hmm. as, as well. So my relationship with Charles is, is extraordinary. Let's rewind a little bit. Okay. Mid-90s, mm -hmm. you decide, yep. I need to go back to school. Yep. What went yeah. into that decision and yep. why UAB? Yeah. The why was many things. Obviously, education leads to greater economic opportunity. And that was certainly part of it. But I can tell you that wasn't my biggest motivator. My biggest motivator was I was the college dropout. Now my two older brothers have college degrees and they're CPAs and, and uh, I eventually got my degree. Uh, but I sort of still had this little burr in my saddle that I didn't quite measure up. Yeah. So I came up with this idea, I'm gonna be the first person in my family to have a graduate degree. Why UAB? That, that was r really easy. They're the basics. Proximity matters, mm -hmm. uh, and that was important. But that wasn't the primary reason. The, the primary reason was Charles and our, our involvement as a business in UAB and the industrial distribution program. And uh, Charles had been involved at UAB for a very long time, and Charles had started getting me involved a little bit in UAB. So I was developing a relationship with UAB through Mayor. Okay. I was developing a relationship with UAB through involvement. And obviously we had the ID program. And UAB, it was never a question of whether or not it was UAB. Yeah, it just was. Yeah. yeah. You've maintained an affinity yeah. with yeah. the university yeah. since you yeah. left, I think, yeah. in 1997. Yeah. Why the desire to remain close yeah. to UAB? Uh, I, I think multiple reasons. One, the, the involvement of mayor in UAB in the ID program. Two, because I was getting involved bit by bit, uh, looking at the impact of UAB on our community and in our state and the economic development that comes from UAB and, you know, being a UAB student and there's just that natural so my affinity and my desire to be a part of UAB started being developed on multiple levels. It wasn't this or that, it was this and that. And uh, you collectively put those things together and 
you know, once you start getting involved in anything, and I think this is the great, not my advice to anybody, but a great lesson for anybody. That first step is always the most important one. Okay. Because once you get involved with anything, uh, if you have a good experience, then that passion will just grow. And I had a great experience at UAB. I had had great experiences as a student, as being in, in getting involved, and I just wanted to build on those great experiences. Where will West Smith be in 10, 20 years? What Ooh. will you be doing? Oof. In 20 years, I just want to be upright. <laughs> <laughs> I say that funny. I, uh, you know, who, who knows where you'll be? Uh, I, I'm, I get asked a lot why I do what I do and what, you know, I, I tell folks, if you have the opportunity to enjoy what you do every single day, meaningful work's important. So what you do is important. If you get to do meaningful work with people you really enjoy being with, that you call your family, and you laugh every day, what else would you want to do? I mean, those are the three things. You, you, yeah. you enjoy what you do, you enjoy who you do it with, and you get to laugh every day. That, what do I hope? Uh, I would tell you in 20 years, uh, someone else will be doing my role uh, at Mayor, and I'll get to look, hopefully, and say, I helped mentor and shape that person and do for them what Charles and his family have done for me in whatever way I can. And I, I, I'll have to be honest, and this is a little bit of self-reflection, I, I hope to be spending a lot of time with my family. You know, because I'll be the first to tell you, when you're younger and you're ambitious and you, 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 you get time from somewhere, to spend the time where you spend it. Mm -hmm. And usually where we get that time is from our families. Giving that time back would be a gift to myself, not a gift to them, <laughs> it'd be a gift to me. Uh, so I hope to be able to spend a lot of time with my family as well. Wes Smith graduated from UAB with an MBA from the Collant School of Business in 1997. He's remained close to the university, including serving on the UAB National Alumni Society Board of Directors and supporting various scholarships on campus. For Wes, he has a good idea of what it means to be a Blazer. It means everything to be a Blazer. To be a Blazer means to be a part of the UAB family, the Blazer family. Uh, and there's rights and responsibilities and fun and all the things that go along with that and responsibility. Uh, so for me, what does it mean to be a blazer? I can't imagine what it would mean to not be one. Listen back to previous episodes of our podcast by visiting us online at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to let us know how we're doing. If you'd like to be a future guest or know someone who has a great story to share, I'd like to know email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. And be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found at UAB Alumni on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, Go Blazers! <laughs>